And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I discuss the Sixers' last three games, including a win over the Toronto Raptors without Joel Embiid, and a victory over the Chicago Bulls on the second night of a back-to-back, and debate whether or not the Sixers have righted the ship and avoided catastrophe. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, and part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing great. And let's talk about the biggest thing in Philadelphia sports right now. Isaiah Joe, huge performance. It was. In the Thunder's comeback win yeah. in Dallas. Yep. That was actually going night. to be part of my, uh, my opening. Offhand mentioned that Isaiah Joe had 15 points on four shots in nine minutes of play. Uh, unfortunately, it was for a different team. Look, I I, I think <laughs> we're not going to start off with the Isaiah Joe rant. I think we were both understood why they wanted that flexibility. It is a shame. Uh, I would have loved to have seen more of him here, but I understand it. I understand. Isaiah Joe, somebody tweeted at me after I just put out his line because, I don't know, I was just randomly looking at the box scores after the Sixers and the Phillies game last night. I was randomly looking at the box scores and... I saw his line and I was like, oh man, I, I got to tweet this out even without context. You know, who, who knows what happened? So apparently they put him in the game with like four minutes left down 16 points and they won the game in overtime in Dallas. I, I will just say the Sixers fan base thinks Isaiah Joe is going to be a six time all star. It just, you, you tweet that out there and yeah. it's like fire Doc all over again. And I don't really think this was Doc's. Fault, whatever. I am not as high on Isaiah Joe as a player as a lot of people are. He's an awesome kid. I think he has a chance to be an NBA player, but I am not losing sleep over that one if I am the Sixers. I mean, I think I was a little more intrigued than you. Uh, my big thing was always I wanted to see him with Embiid and with Harden because when you're an off-ball shooter, especially one off of movement, it is a lot easier to succeed when you are placed around players who can actually have who actually have gravity and can create open shots. He never really got that chance. I think he played like 50 minutes with Embiid last year. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Water under the bridge, that is matter. in the rearview mirror. So the Sixers now have won three out of four, including back-to-back games uh, on back-to-back nights against the Raptors and the Bulls. Not exactly Eastern Conference contenders, but good, solid, respectable teams that you have to actually work to beat. They are up to number two. In half-court offense, which I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear because I think they're still at like 10th or something in offense overall. It just shows you how little this team runs uh, and how that can impact those numbers and how important that is. Certainly Tyrese Maxey had, had a great time up there in Toronto. Uh, you have Embiid maybe looking a little bit more uh, like the Embiid of old. And certainly, I think, especially in the first half there um, against the Bulls, back to some of the quick decisions that he had against the Pacers and not dominating the ball. 
you have, I think, DeAnthony Melton probably annoying the other team more than he's annoying us, which is a good turnaround. I guess a real simple question is, which was that first game in Toronto, which was just catastrophically bad, embarrassing, disgusting transition defense. Was that the low point and have they rebounded from that? I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance, Derek. Uh, more than taking anything away from the games, and look, we're going to get into the specifics of the games because that's what we do here. This team just needed to feel good about itself, and really, it just needed a couple of good performances so people could get off their backs. I Have you looked at the Sixers' Twitter mentions from time to time? It is like literally fire doc, like, Every time. It it could be like we just donated the charity. Here's uh you know, here's this great thing we're doing. 80 fire doc replies. Like we, we don't care about this until you fire doc. Uh could be Maxi, you know, making a bunch of threes, fire doc. <laughs> and I you know what? That might not end and and you know, I'm not here to even get into the argument of whether that's right or wrong. But just like in general, that performance in Toronto the first performance and we kind of saw it coming on the last pot where bitched about the transition defense the entire day and we mentioned hey like Toronto is a horrible team if you don't have your shit together on the uh on the transition front like that was a really embarrassing performance and so for them to come back and, and Maxi who, who owns them to a degree for him to play that well on Friday and for them, they're like, you know, that was not a pretty performance in Chicago last night. It was pretty for about, eh, about 15, 16 minutes. Like yeah. the, the offense was really humming to start the game. But it's it's kind of like what Doc said after the first loss in Toronto. At some point, like, they're not going to be all together on the offensive end right now. Like that is abundantly clear. They're going to be stretches where they just it's like man this is hard to watch why is this tough you still have to win games while that's happening and the Chicago game was an example of that like it wasn't pretty but you know what I will give them a little bit of credit too I thought their half court defense at the end of the game was really good and yeah they gave up a few transition buckets but that was mainly because they were turning the ball over on offense like it wasn't like the the bullshit just we either score or we miss a shot and it's a crisis because we just don't get back on defense. So um, o- overall, I just, you know, look, I don't think everything is fixed here. I think uh, there's still a lot of work to be done on both ends of the floor. But like you mentioned, all of those positive pieces that we can get into here did enough to get them a couple of wins. And now, like, look, they have Washington back-to-back and the Knicks. You win all three of those games, you're 6-4, and four, and, like, crisis mode is over. Yeah, You're not where you want to be, but, like, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's stupid to say that that second Toronto game could have been an inflection point in the Sixers, not necessarily season, but certainly in how you feel about it. Because another loss there and you end up, what would they have been? One and five at that point with two disasters. Nets territory. Yeah. With (laughs) Oh, so many comments to go from there and I'll I'll, I'll, I'll pass on them all. One and five, (laughs) the the, the fire dock chance would have gotten even louder. You had another tough game against the Bulls on a back to back. Uh, and with Embiid sitting out that first game, there was certainly a, a point where you're going, oh my God, how how low could this go? Had a real good effort, pretty much across the board, but especially, I mean, Tyrese Maxey coming out there, what he made first eight of that game, something absurd like that, had 20 whatever at halftime. 
uh, and really just came out like completely bombing. Like the shots he was making got a couple. Do you know what he's shooting from the corners right now? I, I said it all last year. I, I don't know what he's shooting right now. He's this shooting year, 83%. That's what he shot the second half of last year, too, from <laughs> the corners. I, I know it was a little less than that, but not much. It's insane. I think he made like like three corner threes in the first couple of minutes. Another like real deep above the break three. Had that completely absurd at the end of the half. Ran the entire court in three minutes and got a floater. Or th- <laughs> ran the entire court in three seconds. It would take me three minutes. It took him three seconds <laughs> to go the entire length of the court and get the floater. Uh, and then that opened up a lot of his driving game. He certainly carried them in that game. Um, but I think you brought up a good point. At no point have they really looked like, at times, maybe a play here, a play there, a half here, but they haven't consistently looked like a cohesive offensive unit. But you usually have at least one or two of your big three going at any one time. And I think that's sort of what we thought would carry them, uh, at least in the first half of the season, until they sort of got that familiarity with each other. We've seen that play out here a little bit. Uh, Harden here has been struggling the last few games, shooting in the low 30s from the field. Well, Maxi has elevated his game, maybe not. Last night, because he got into that foul trouble, but then Embiid's there to pick him up. Uh, so I think they've done a good job of at least taking turns, even if that's maybe not what you want. By the end of the season, it's enough to scratch out a couple of wins now. And their defense has not just completely pissed me off, which is a huge <laughs> step up from where it was in the first four games of the season. It's not where it needs to be. I think right now they are a mid-pack defensive team. I think they're probably, again, a little bit better than that in the half court, but not where they need to be in the half court. Uh, and then transition has been better, I guess, the last couple of days, but not not great. Um, but their offense is finally starting to show signs. But they they stopped giving up the easy free gift points that yeah. it, it reached an adir on uh, on Wednesday against Toronto. Like that was that's embarrassing. Like you just get the ball run down your throat like that every time, and it that was so in, embarrassing. And I, I guess just frustrating as a neutral observer to watch because it's like did you take anything from the win you had against indiana where it was probably closer than you thought because you just didn't get back on defense and the answer for that night was no you did not um so i'm going to do something that 90 percent of the people listening to this podcast are not going to like i'm gonna give doc rivers a little credit i thought his offensive game plan without Embiid on Friday night was really good. They they, they stayed yeah. in this du- double drag look the entire night and just Toronto, we said this all last year, they just do this weird switching and sometimes the switch, sometimes they put two guys on the ball and then they bring that weak side corner guy over faster than anybody in the league. You yeah. mentioned those corner threes. Maxie got like, it's because yeah. he's standing in the corner. He's He is legitimately an 80% shooter and they don't give a shit. They got to protect the rim because they're, you know, so anyway, they and are in the very... second half, like Maxi was able to get any switch he wanted, which against that team, they have a lot of good defenders. But Maxi, I don't know if you noticed, he's really fast uh, and he was able to take advantage of that. Uh, yeah, certainly. They were really targeting Van Vliet and Trent, which is guess what? That's what Toronto's got to deal with because the Sixers did that last year as well. Uh, yeah. And I thought the other thing that they did out of that double drag look, which just gave Toronto just a ton of problems, was they they slipped those screens really well and hard and I will say, like, Harden was bad. He was especially bad in last night's game. But I think his uh, his assist line in the Toronto game especially was probably not um, – like, he was making the first pass that kind of got everything moving. And uh, they were putting two on the ball against him. Maybe that was a mistake for the most part. But I, I just thought the Sixers really – they executed very well. P.J. Tucker, yeah, he set 
85 moving screens in the Chicago <laughs> game. He said, he said I, I think it was in, you know, I said that it was in a a five-minute span that he set three moving screens just because he checked out at, like, the seven-minute mark. I, I think it was within, like, a three-minute span, honestly, yeah. though. Like, I think it started at, at nine. It was unbelievable. He just kept getting called for moving screens. He kind of has a little bit of that Kevin Garnett in him where he's like, they're not going to call that all game. Like, eventually, I'm going to get away with this. And you know what? I, I kind of agree with him on that. Like, I, I watch screens in the NBA, and I think a mil- I think all of them are illegal for the most part. But <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, and it's kind of why it frustrates me a little bit sometimes with Embiid when he sets bad screens because, I don't know, I, I think if you are, are there and you, you just move a little bit, they're not going to call it. But, uh, you know, it was a bad combination. So you want, you, I just want to make this clear. A Phillies fan is on a podcast now imploring Joel Embiid to cheat more. Yes. Yes. Just, uh, you know, and also too, like, you know, after you hit the deck, when you, he, he took a nice little grift at the end of last night's game where he, uh, Patrick Williams ran over him after it's over, maybe just wipe those hands down, on, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, your Jersey, run through your hair a little bit, the back of your hair. <laughs> I don't know. You know, of course uh, he missed the free throws after that too. Then again, I'm, he, uh, I'm not sure having spin on the ball has quite the same impact in shooting a basketball as does in throwing a curveball, but I, I hear where you're coming from. You don't get extra points for the spin rate on that. No. Thing. Although although Ben Simmons has some good spin rate on his <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> the uh well, did you see after the game too? I I, I didn't check it out because I went to the Phillies right after. And B did kind of the on court interview with Kate and Ala where he's kind of he's got the headset on and he, he had a good line. He was talking about his missed free throws. He's like Man, I think they got to go to Hacka Joel next time. Like those, <laughs> those free throws were a a big deal that I missed those. It was uh, it's good to see him. I, I thought like people overrate his body language sometimes too. Where like it's like I I think he has games where his body language sucks and it's a disaster. All those things. But my God, I get like mailbag questions and tweets about like has he lost his passion for basketball? Yeah, and no, then he- you see you see the last two games where he's on the bench and he's like blown away by Maxi, he's enjoying it more than anybody in the arena and then last night's game where he's fired up because he's beating chicago it's relax sometimes he's a little bit of a mope it's okay like he hasn't <laughs> yeah. he hasn't lost his passion for basketball yeah no i agree with that uh, i i definitely agree that he can improve his body language and that he 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 shows yeah. his frustration a little too openly especially sometimes with his teammates um, but I definitely do not think he has lost his passion for basketball. It's just he he's very expressive and he can't control that. Or he, he hasn't. Nobody has gotten to him that he needs to control it. One of the two. But I also think he's self-corrected a little bit where in the first couple games of this year, as you rightfully pointed out, I think on one of those first pods, it was a disaster. Like yeah. the, the Tobias play when he freaked yep. out. Although which awful play. Play. He, awful play. Awful play. Yep. Could be could be four and three right now. It, it, it feels like play. like the first couple of years, like man, that Tobias Harris contract is bad, but great guy, great guy. I feel like now when we talk about that play, it's like yeah, Joel shouldn't have done that, but also awful play. Awful yeah, we play. Mention that. Yep. No excuse for that. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, you know, and but I, I think he self corrected that over the last few games where he's been trying to high five guys and and into it. So. I think that has been a lot better. I forget where we started. We started with PJ Tucker setting illegal screens, and I kind of got lost. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have no idea what you're where you're going with that. We oh, definitely well. went on like three different tangents. Oh, yeah. and- well, okay, but I guess back to my main point. I thought Doc specifically in that that first game, which they really needed, like they really needed to win that game, uh, did a really good job 
just like five out spacing. They start Melton, which I think is the right move, although tough tough for B-Ball Paul that he can't get in the rotation when Joel is out. Uh, but I, I just, I, especially against that, that lineup, that matchup, I think that was probably the right call. Look, it worked, right? Yeah. Like it, it worked, and I thought Trez, after being like a legitimate dumpster fire for five games or whatever, was was better. He still can't finish like he should. Like, come on, man, make the layup. Like, yeah. you, you make a good post move. Like, you're you're actually wide open for a layup. You just got to make that thing. Uh, but I thought his energy was good and and all those things. And I, I didn't even think his defense was that bad either. Uh, I, I just thought it was a good offensive game plan, and that's something we've seen from Doc time and again. That uh, when Embiid sits out, we saw it with Maxi against the Grizzlies, Blazers, all of these things last year. Like the five out spacing comes pretty easy to him, yeah. And just organizing them on the fly, and I thought this was another example of that. And they even they didn't even need like a great Harden game for uh, for them to light up uh, Toronto. On, That's part of why I'm so frustrated with Trez. I'd like yeah. to l- utilize that a little bit more. I would go either B-ball Paul if you want the switchable defensive player, or I would go I would go Tucker at the five if you want to really focus on offense and still remain competitive defensively. I just don't know. I really just don't know what Trez's role is in the playoffs. Uh, we've mentioned that a lot. Certainly his start to the season, even with that one good game against Toronto uh, has not quelled those concerns. What have you made of Matisse being bad? Yeah, Matisse was exactly where we we're going to go next. I thought, um, you know, I, it's funny because I, I would not necessarily say that either of us are on the Matisse liable fan club. And that fan club does still exist. And I, I understand why. I like that his defense is intriguing and can be impactful. And I, I missed the last couple of meetings for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But, you know, I think when I wrote in my preview, one of the things I said was, well, if you're Matisse Thibel's camp, wouldn't you be pushing for an extension now? Because what would, if he goes from 25 minutes per game to 15 minutes per game, what would that do to his market around the league next summer in free agency? Well, 15 minutes per game is way higher than what they were giving him to start the season, which was pretty much a DNP CD, except for when he was like brought in in a loogie type reliever role. Yeah. Cross sport talk. Now he's entered back into the rotation here a little bit. Uh, and I think it's good. I think you needed to mix things up. I need to think you needed to try something else. Cause quite frankly, Daniel house wasn't, wasn't it for the first couple of games of the season. They needed that defensive spark. They needed to get out and transition. This team does not force, even with Matisse, but especially without Matisse, does not force any kind of turnovers. Not get any, when you combine it with their lack of offensive rebounding, does not get any easy points. That's why you can be the second best half court offense in the league and mid pack overall. They're 11th overall in second and half court because they don't get shit easy. Uh, and I think at times you just need to bring Matisse in, see if he can cause a little bit of havoc, see if he can plug some of those defensive holes, see if he can get you out in transition. And is that going to be a night-to-night thing? No, probably not. Dude's unplayable offensively. And I completely get that. And if you have a game where you really uh, have a team that can take advantage of that, that's why he's another one that you worry about in the playoffs. But I think it was good to mix it up. Uh, I think I think Doc needed to change the rotations a little bit. I do think hashtag rotations is something that fans just go to whenever they want to be pissed off at a coach sometimes. Uh, but I think this was one instance where House just wasn't getting it done. Try something else little infusion of energy that they desperately needed. And I think he's played pretty well here the last couple of games. Definitely. And, and after that Wednesday game, it just got to the point where like, like lose another way. If, yeah. If yeah. No, exactly. Like if, if, if we are having a conversation where, Oh my God, James Harden has no space off the pick and roll or Embiid can't post up at least we're having a different fucking conversation. Not, 
these guys are all playing lazy and disinterested and won't get back in transition. It was just a different way to live. Ex- exactly a way to phrase it. And in yeah. three months, are we going to be saying like, oh my God, get Matisse out for someone who can shoot? Probably. Like that's the ebb and flow of a season. But they needed that then. It's the, you know, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Like it's, I was so sick of the transition defense. I, I know Matisse can run back on defense. <laughs> yes. I know like he can maybe pick off an outlet pass or two. I know he can create some havoc on uh on that end of the floor. And, you know, yeah, I, I thought he, uh, you, you saw and the look, limitations man, he shot, there. He shot two for five against Toronto and people were like, oh my God, this is like the, this is a revelation. Maybe he learned how to shoot in the off season. Probably not like calm that down, but he did. He'll, he'll hustle. That's great. Yeah. And, and even in that game, you saw like there was one possession where, you know, Harden got two on the ball and Matisse was screening for him and he was wide open from three above the break. And, and there's one of two things you do there. You shoot the ball or you have a four on three. You drive it and then you find somebody who's open. He did neither. He threw it back yeah. out to Harden and he Doc like lost his mind. He was like, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? Do one of the two things to <laughs> dribble it in. But, yeah. you know, it's also in fairness to Matisse, he's not very good at dribbling and passing. So. <laughs> right. KYP, baby. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't uh, – you saw the limitations there. But, like, look, he also – he has some okay moments like drive and kick to uh, to Maxi, And, you know, as you've seen, the Sixers, because they're not very good at defense, they, they play a decent amount of zone. They mix that in. It was actually in the Friday game against Toronto's second unit. It was pretty effective, actually, just watching those guys shoot a lot of bricks, which also, you know, they shot a lot of bricks. They, they made a bunch of tough shots in the in the other game. So yeah, I actually don't think it was that uh, that crazy of like a shooting variance type of thing. But yeah, if you put Matisse at the top of the, that zone, like your zone defense is better. Now, do I think the zone defense is a uh, a panacea, like something that uh, the Sixers should be able to go to time and again to get stops? No, I don't. I think you get wide open shots against zone defense. I think that's true of literally every zone defense in the league. Like if you have your shit together offensively, it's pretty easy to get open shots. But yeah, he uh, it was good to see him in the rotation. I think he should stay in the rotation. You know, as long as they keep winning here, like again, lose a different way. If he if he has a disastrous offensive spell, that's fine. But it, this goes back to what we thought of this team at the beginning of the year. It, their, their margin for error should not be so low to where like you play Matisse Dibley as a rough game and it's like, oh, we lost, we lost, we we can't do it. Like you had James Harden play like dog crap last night and you still won the game on the road against a decent team. So uh, it's good to see him back in the rotation. I think. You know, just having him and Melton both in the rotation, and Melton is playing a lot better, just gives them a little more chaos, a little more athleticism. Just some sometimes those 50-50 balls go their way. Yeah, and uh, that's a good thing to have for a team that just looks slow and disinterested for most of the year. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, (laughs) I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Don- Dominic Toretto, I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The Sixers so far have played the fifth most zone defensively in the league. Uh, They are allowing teams to shoot just 42.9% when they're in the zone, but that has an effective field goal percentage of 55% because what does the zone do? It gives up a lot of threes. They're Um, open threes. Yeah. So we will see how sustainable that is long-term, but they have certainly used it a little bit more than they have in the past and for understandable reasons. All right. So I, uh, where should we pivot to next? Uh, so I, I would just like to say, too, I've really liked how Melton has played over yeah. the past week. And Agreed. look, there are Agreed. still the mistakes, like you said, like he'll, he'll go one on two on a fast break. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're not good enough to make that shot. Like, I, I honestly think Maxi sometimes wouldn't be good enough to make that shot. But you have the confidence to do that. You're not as good at Maxi at, at that as Maxi is. But we are starting to see like that. That first game was horrible with Malcolm Brogdon go, going by him at any point. You're starting to see if he can keep the guy in front of him, which he generally can do. Um, if you put the ball even a little bit out in front of you, like he's taking it, like it's cookies. Like he will, he will slap the ball out of your hands, off your feet, and, and the six will be off to the races. Plus, like he's made a couple of really nice recovery blocks and rebounds too. That's the other thing too. Like he's a very good vertical athlete for somebody his size. Um, confident three point shooter. I like that he just keeps shooting them. Like, you know, he'll miss three in a row, and if the next one's a good look, he'll keep shooting them. So he he's, to me, kind of established himself as kind of the, the lead bench guy, the, yeah. the guy that should be playing 25 minutes every night because of the positive things he gives yeah, you. Yeah, and he, he might be the only one on the bench where you say every night you're going to have a similar role 
night in, night out. That shouldn't, I don't think, be the case for Trez, who we've, we've talked about a lot, and whether he should be playing over Paul Reed at all, or over P.J. Tucker in a small ball lineup. I don't think that should necessarily be the case for George, although he's had a couple good games here of late, but there's matchups where his role should be cut back. And House, we just talked about, should have been swapped out for Matisse just to lose a different way. I agree with you, Melton is the night-in, night-out bench, you know, core bench piece. I think the start of the season, and look, is he perfect now? No, he'll make some decisions that you scratch your head about. Not in a trying to get some spin on the ball, cheating kind of scratching your head, but a, just a general confused scratching your head. Good clarification. Yeah, he's, you know, at Philly sports, we've got to make sure that everyone's on the same page. But, you know, I think what was frustrating about the first couple games is that he was getting beat and making mistakes and struggling in ways we didn't expect to struggle. You know, when he struggles and it's part of the plan, nobody panics. Okay, he's going to make a couple of decisions that are over-aggressive. Uh, he's going to shoot maybe off the dribble when you would prefer him to stay in a catch-and-shoot. He's going to get beat occasionally in a half-court because he's gambling a little too much on a permanent. That's all fine. Getting beat on a backdoor cut or beat just flat-out off the dribble were things that we weren't really expecting. Um, so I will live with his deficiencies as long as his strengths are what we expected. And I think over the last four or so games, he's sort of played how we would expect him to play, and that's fine. Uh, you know, if he was perfect he you wouldn't have been able to get him for danny green's injured acl in a first round pick i like how you you put that instead of his expiring contract yeah. it's, it's actually his acl which is in the trade that's part of the salary matching the uh yeah and the the other thing too i mentioned the pj tucker sl slipping in the the raptors game i thought melton made some really good passes out of that action because he was being guarded by trent and van vliet and uh that meant he was the guy who would end up playing four on three and he did a nice job with that. I, I, I think his ball skills when used, you got to harness it. Can't be too much to Anthony, but like when he gets the ball on the second side, attacking the closeout, he can do that and he can yeah. make a nice move and, and drive and actually finish, but it, it's got to be the right situation. But I think overall, like you, you will take how he is playing and hope he finds a little more, um, you know, a li little more comfortability just to understand when to attack, when not to all those things. I do feel like we maybe didn't give Maxi enough credit for the 75 points or whatever he scored up in Toronto. Like maybe we just sort of like yada yada that. I don't really know what to say other than that display, especially in that second game, but really both games was just staggering. The fact that he can come out and shoot nine for 12 from deep on that kind of variety is certainly not something I saw. And look, I know a lot of people say, oh, he was a good shooter in, in high school, who struggled in college. You could always see he was going to be a good shooter. Oh, who cares? That no. First of all, I disagree with that. I thought he had a chance. I thought he had a base to build off of. But to come out there and make those kind of shots the way he did against a really good defense was just, it, like, that development is outlier level. Even if you argued that he had a better shot than his sub-30% three-point shooting in, in college indicated, which, by the way, he then came out in his, his rookie year and shot 30% from 3-2. Even if you always believed that he would improve from there, and I think we were both in that camp, the way that he is, uh, we talked about it, corner threes are layups, that off the dribble three that maybe he only had 20-foot range on coming into the league, he now has 27-foot range on. He can shoot in almost every way. It's outlier level, and we really have to appreciate that because we just don't get that kind of development here in Philadelphia all that often. And the first game went a little bit under the radar because his playmaking sucked in that game. He was throwing yeah. pick pick sixes a and, lot. And, and, and oh, by the way, his defense is a huge concern. I'm not entirely sure how they are going to overcome that 
really the pairing of him and Harden in the playoffs, and that's why we're going to have we're going to talk about their defense all season long. He's a significant part of that, but his offense is just it's incredible to watch. It really is. You mentioned the range, uh, the the say goodbye shot, the the, the good night shot that he hit against uh, against Toronto. Like the play is, and this is a good play, but it should not be a good play. It is okay. We know they're doubling Harden on every ball screen, so Maxi is going to set a ball screen. 30, like 35 feet from the basket. They are going to double Harden. And because they're aggressive, we know, like, you can't, like, slip and get a three out of this. Like, they'll be up. So Maxi is going to pop to the right wing. Yeah. To, like, 32, 33 feet. Harden is going to throw a behind-the-back yeah. pass to him, and he is going to shoot it right away, and that is a somehow a good yeah. possession. Yep. Yep. But it is. He is a uh, and you know what I remember when we were talking about him coming out of the draft because I, I do remember that that was the he was one of the only guys we talked about for that draft because it was uh, it was the COVID year so we weren't really that into it and it was well, and funny also, there was like that five month layoff from when they stopped playing basketball to when the draft was too it was really weird it was in November yeah. and and I just remember we, we talked about him for like twenty minutes and I just remember thinking like hey, he's not going to fall that far yeah so why, why are we no talking we barely about talked him about him yep we, we like we liked him a lot yep. but it was just like oh yeah. Uh, the one thing I remember with his shooting, and that's what I mean. Like you can, you could have been high on him and thought he should have been a lottery pick and maybe a borderline top ten pick, and also still recognize that he has improved by leaps and bounds more than you would have expected. That's fine. They're both true. Yeah. The thing I remember with his shooting was that it felt like he was shooting from farther back in the college line than he should have been. Like he was, whether it was release point or whatever, he was shooting bombs in college for like m- maybe not. The right reasons, you know, maybe it's like, hey, you could have taken a step up and he he kept missing those shots. Well, whatever, man. Like, I think like you said, the the corner threes are and and that's part of the reason I think they have him off the ball. Like they need to get him more involved on the ball. And that's part of the the overall offensive uh, cohesion thing that we've been talking about since the uh, since the first game. In fairness to the Sixers, like sticking him in the opposite corner. You yeah. can't leave him. No. You can't. You can't even come close to leaving him. Like, there's gonna, and I feel like people leave him more than they should. Yeah. But there's gonna come a point where you put him in the corner, and he's going to have an incredible amount of gravity, uh, because he's gonna get that respect lead league wide. I mean, look, when you keep making fifty percent of them, like people are going to eventually really, really guard you. And if he has he sh- that kind of gravity, he's going to have an impact even without the ball. He should have like gre- uh, like Redick level gravity at at some point here. Because fine, he might not be as good of a shooter as JJ was, but when you combine what he can do off the ball, like th- there's no reason to want to close out. And I, th- the other thing that's been frustrating about, I think his game to me this year is I feel like there are times when he has the three and they close out super hard on him where he's not like, like he's a little indecisive on attacking yeah. that closeout. Like yeah. get into the paint, man, get yeah. in the paint, make something happen. You're, you're good enough to do this. And sometimes he's just kind of, eh, he's like holding it for a second. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think he could be better in that regard, and that's that's probably on him a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, what what a shooter and what a what a player. I would just say, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy, and it's it's really nice to have a third guy. It's not just Embiid. It's not just Harden. A third guy who you desperately need a win. You're not yeah. playing well, and he's just like, I got this. No, I mean, against a decent team too. Look at the last two games. Embiid sat one. You thought, oh shit, like this could go off the rails real quickly. You got you got Tyrese. You play a second game. Harden's really bad. 
And now, <laughs> now Max, Max he didn't exactly have a a good game either. Mostly foul trouble related, but he didn't he didn't shoot the way he did. Not that you were ever going to expect him to shoot nine for twelve again, um, but he didn't necessarily have a great shooting game from the perimeter. But you have enough options that you can push through that. Um, and I think having and I, we've barely even talked about Tobias Harris. And quite frankly, he hasn't necessarily. You know, I think his I think his three point attempt rate. I think three pointers make up over fifty percent of his field goal attempts so far. For the most part, I give him credit for how he has embraced that role. Uh, but he hasn't been a night-in, night-out impact player offensively. Um, but he theoretically could ramp that up if and when you, you do eventually need him. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's good to have those options. I thought Tobias and Joel, at the end of last night's game, made some really good like pick-and-roll plays defensively against DeRozan. Yeah, he was good, he was good defensively. Where, uh, and we talk about Joel like, hanging back and drop coverage. Toronto's was really like that one team where he just ramps it up defensively. Like, like it's, a, it's a good matchup just because he has the size to contest some of those guys. It was almost like when Siakam was lighting up Tucker in that first game. And some of that is, is come on, PJ, like, get up, man. Like, you, you can't give him this shot. But it's also... He was also Siak- shooting, like, 28% from three coming in. Like, I understood why that was in the game plan. It's just after he makes the first three of them, maybe, you know, change that. Sort of like Wheeler the other night. Yep. Siakam, uh, look, he's... And he's Started the season really well too. He's very talented scorer, and even in the game, the Sixers. The way that won. The, those players just grow as playmakers and decision makers, it, whatever they're doing up in Toronto, man, like they're incredible. They're incredible. I, Him, I OG, really, it, the the development is just insane. And yeah, they play that weird, goofy style, which also can lead to open threes, and it's why, like, I don't know, if the Sixers are clicking, I, I would certainly take them in a playoff series as of right now over them. Again, I could see why they beat them last season. I enjoy watching that yeah, team play. They do they do weird but but also fun stuff. And it's why Scotty really is like the perfect Toronto Raptor. Like he's made for that system. Yeah. And so for like look, for the Sixers to be like that place is literally a house of horrors for them. So to to be done do they have another game there the rest of the year? No, they don't, no. obviously. Yeah. Like that's the max you can have. Is two on the road, so yeah, it's a it's a good thing. Um, yeah, it, oh, but Tobias and Joel, like Joel, was up on those screens at the end of the game last night, and while the Sixers' offense sucked and they were turning the ball over and they were just way too stagnant, they were getting enough stops. And even you know what, I will give Joe credit on this too. They had the Vooch makes a bunch of bullshit threes game last night, and they still <laughs> overcame that. Like like Vooch, the Sixers went four and zero against them last year. I don't want to even look up the numbers. Vooch could not make one shot against yeah. them. And he was on fire last night. And th- that's not even like a, oh, Joel, bad defense thing. That is a legitimately hard thing to guard, to protect the rim and guard Vooch if he is making threes. There's a reason uh, Chicago's not that good because he doesn't make those threes all the time. If he, if he did, they would be a really, really hard team to stop. But I, I just thought the defense was good. And then uh, and then you get the pick and pop three and he makes it and everything's okay. It was Everyone's uh, favorite Joel shot. Yeah, it was a uh, – I, look, I think that that Bulls game was a 50-50 game, but Joel pulled it out, and it was an important time to pull it out. So they have a chance to go on a run here. All right, so they have now won three out of four. They have two against the Wizards and then the Knicks. So they have, like you said, some winnable games coming up here. If we had to rate it on a scale of DEFCON 1, which is pretty much what happened after that first Toronto game, First DEFCON five, no concern at all. Where are you uh where are you at right now? I think they're back to a three. Yeah. 
I agree. It feels weird to say that just because it's only been two games, but we're dealing with a small sample here. It's only the first week of the year, and you don't want to get way under 500. So, yeah, like just banking wins, I think, for the psyche of this team. And also just eliminating some of those easy baskets, which is just like, man, that's just effort. Like, It's just like, do you care? Are you trying hard enough to do that in the last two games? And have clunky offense. Okay. I, I can live with that for a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think it was probably. I hate, I hate the way I hate what I'm going to say because it sounds like I'm giving Joe an excuse, but I think when Joe is out of shape, his worst habits just come to the forefront and whether that's transition defense, whether that's not extending himself at all on the pick and roll, whether that is some of the slow decision-making and trying to do a little too much with his dribble. If he isn't in the best shape and you can come to your own conclusion of whether or not the uh, plantar fasciitis in the offseason should have, have have led him to be in this shape or not. But if he does come into camp in that shape, a slow start with some of his worst habits was probably predictable. And you combine that with the sluggishness on offense and not reaching their peak in that regard. And maybe Doc still trying to figure out how to shuffle the rotations to get the most out of this group. I do think that those first five games are probably the low point. I don't want to say of the season because you're going to have ups and downs, but they're better than, I mean, clearly they're better than a one and four team and what they showed. Am I convinced that they have fixed all of their problems for a playoff run? No, because we're not talking about a first round victory here. We're talking about getting the conference finals, the finals. There are still, I think, structural concerns with this team which is why i rated them as the third most likely team to get the finals from the east i think you had them at the conference finals those concerns are still there and probably higher than i would have even listed them as concerns coming in the season Um, but i do think that you're starting to see that they should still win a lot of games here i think it's a good reminder that this is a long season that like you said in the past pod your worst takes can often be your first takes at the start of an nba season have they righted the ship? I don't know. I mean, they haven't exactly played great teams here over the last week, uh, but they have at least competed better, and that is key. Because quite frankly, yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't. If I had to, if we had to do a pod right after that first trial game, I probably would have lost my mind. Like that would have been the most frustrating podcast of the season. Because just watching that effort, I hate talking about it because it was that bad. I guess good for my own mental sanity that they had the two follow up games. It's the opposite of Maxi. When Maxi, we don't offer really any good insight. We just say, "Oh man, that's that's pretty cool to watch." <laughs> like whatever. Where the transition defense, it's like, "Oh yeah, this is horrible." Like they're just not trying, or they don't care, or they they're not communicating. Whatever it is, like it's just it's pathetic. We we don't have anything to add to it. Like it's not. Uh, yeah. There's no reason for it except like they're not giving effort. But yeah, it was. Uh, that game was a low point, and for them to respond was good. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't. I'm not. not you know, willing to, Not willing to say that they're gonna, you know, run off five more in a row here because, you know, you saw that was a fifty-fifty game against Chicago. But I think it could have been real disaster level after that first Toronto game. Like I, I was watching that team and thinking, like, are they gonna go? Is this gonna be one and seven to start the yeah. year? Like this is. Yeah. You know, if you go one and seven to start the year, like. I mean, th- then the doc conversation gets really interesting. It also gets to like, what what seed are they ultimately going to get? Like that's yeah. a that's a huge hole to climb out of against some of these top teams that just win games all the time. 
So, uh, yeah. So good for them getting back on uh, relatively on schedule, I would say. All right. That's about all that I have here. And uh, go Phillies. Go Phils. See you, man. When you are down, lift your head off the ground. There's a lot to be learned. So look around. Once there was a silly old ant. Thought he'd move a rubber tree plant. Anyone knows an ant can't move a rubber tree plant. But he had high hopes. He had high hopes. He had high apple pie in the sky. Hope so when you start to feel it low. Instead of letting go, just remember that ant. Whoop, there goes another robber tree. Up there goes another robber tree. Whoop, there goes another robber tree plant. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.